Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today, we're going to talk some USC recruiting with Gerard Martinez, the national recruiting analyst for uscfootball.com. He does a great job for us, and it was the most popular podcast segment we've had so far since we switched over to a new format, so that uh, give Gerard a little bit of props there. You can follow him on Twitter at gmartlive, and we got some questions we want to get to. If you have any questions for us, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or leave a voicemail at 206-888-6755. Or you can go right to our website, peristylepodcast.com. And on the left side of the page, just click that. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. Please let us know who the question is for so we can direct it to the right person. And we will do our best to answer it on the next show. And uh, Gerard Martinez joining us again. It's been uh, two weeks, I guess, since we talked to him. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing well. A little bit of a uh, a reprieve from uh, the recruiting podcast but it's hump day so we got to give you a little turnt up recruiting blast yeah we used, to, we used to call it that we've changed the name a little bit now that we've got to change the format of the podcast and i dry and i think i even told you this uh so i'm checking now that we've done like shorter shows and doing you know three or four a week uh i looked up the uh, numbers today and yours was the most downloaded uh of all the podcasts so it was unique we only had one recruiting podcast and, and yours was the most popular Nice. I'd like to thank all my adoring fans out there for that. <laughs> Even more than T. Martin. So T. T. Martin was second when we did. We had him on last week. So. Uh, oh, I might have to give T. Martin a call about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let him know. Maybe he should, if he would have tweeted out a little bit more, maybe it would have got more um, views and stuff. But so we, uh, I guess we're going to start off with uh, three days in a row, and I think it's the second time this has happened. Gerard, uh, USC has the lineman camp over the weekend, and three days in a row picks up a commitment uh all on the defensive side of the ball maybe we can kind of go through those guys and, and should usc fans be panicking that one's a two-star or anything like that we talk about those guys yeah all three commitments sort of under the radar type players um i think the two defensive ends obviously you have the lineman camp so usc's getting in-person evaluations of those two players uh the first guy that actually committed was Keanu Saliapaga, and uh, he's a 6'5", 265-pound defensive end from La Mirada, a guy that did have uh, a Washington offer, did have, you know, some Pac-10 uh, looks or some Pac-12 looks. Um, so he did, you know, have some legitimate offers and was on the radar uh, with Pac-12 schools and several other schools. I think one of the main reasons why he was under the radar, at least from uh, sort of the major program standpoint, is that he's bounced around to a few different schools. 
Uh, Sally Apaga actually started out at Gar High School, then transferred over to Cabrillo, and finally landed at La Mirada. So he's a guy that, you know, kind of you start to jump around different high schools, it's hard to keep track of guys. And uh, I think with the USC coaching staff, they weren't even really recruiting him that much leading up to the lineman camp. He came to the lineman camp really just to learn, you know, hopefully get a little more exposure, ends up walking away with the offer, commits right on the spot. So that's a guy that's going to end up probably playing in the interior defensive line for USC. He's going to get bigger. I mean, right now he's 260. He actually dropped 10 pounds uh, from about two weeks ago. He said he was about 270. Um, so he's a kid that we're going to see him grow a little more. I mean, 6'5", almost 6'6", 270 pounds. You know, a year from now he'll probably be 280. I think he probably ends up playing around 290. He's a little bit of a project. He's definitely very raw, but he kind of fills – that role that USC really trend-wise, they're recruiting a lot of those defensive ends that have that length to them. They have those long arms. They're tall guys. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that physically you can kind of see his makeup. Um, he kind of falls in line with what USC has been recruiting uh, from a defensive end standpoint. Uh, certainly not a great year for defensive ends on the West Coast. Not a good year for defensive linemen in general on the West Coast. So, you know, you see USC, they're going in there. They're trying to find and develop some prospects. And I think on the point of whether USC fans should panic and get all crazy, oh, no, this guy's not a four-star guy, he's not a five-star guy, what's happening? We're losing out on our top prospects. I, I think what you want to see is USC has proven with this coaching staff that they recruit four-star and five-star players. I mean, we've seen it the last two classes. They had the number one class in the nation last year. And you don't have that unless you're recruiting the top of the top players. But what we see here is that they're looking at guys – that they can develop. So there's confidence not only they can go out and recruit the top-end players that have all the stars and have all the uh, All-American awards that people know about, but they're also feeling like, hey, we can go out there and we can find guys and we can develop guys within our system and we can make them stars. And it doesn't have to be stars like guys that are first-round picks. You want to win football games, you got to have some guys that can come in and can contribute, and you got to have depth on your defensive line. The other defensive end they bring in is Huntington Beach defensive end Liam Jimmins. Now, Leon Jimmins is 6'4", 235 pounds. He actually uh, weighed in exactly at 242, so he's actually up from his listed weight a little bit. And this is a guy that, again, I think he's going to play defensive end. I think he's probably going to be more of a 4'5 technique. But he's also a guy that, comparison-wise, talking to some of the sources that were there at the lineman camp over the weekend, they said that, you know, they kind of compared him a little bit to Scott Creighton, who was a guy that played at Oregon State. He's now with the Minnesota Vikings. He's 6'3", about 265, um, you know, Jimmins is actually a little taller, got a little more length, but, you know, again, sort of like Sally Apaga, you're talking about a guy with long arms, can extend away from blocks, shed, and make plays. He's more active on film than Sally Apaga, and we actually put together a commitment analysis video kind of going over uh, their highlight tapes and, and talking about each of the two defensive ends. And he's a guy that really moves well in space. You see him playing a little bit against the read option, and he actually makes some pretty good plays, good agility. He only ran a 5-1-6 at the uh, – Nike Combine earlier this year, um, but, you know, still a guy that I, I think you know, he, he may not be that clear speed rusher off the edge, but certainly a guy that shows enough ability and awareness uh, that he can make plays and, and really great motor, kind of guy that kind of run down plays off the back end. Uh, the third commitment they got was actually a guy that they got a commitment from, I think it was like June 6th or June 7th. It's actually uh, an old commitment that just got announced and released, and that was from Jordan Iosefa. 
And Jordan Isefa is about six two and a half, two hundred twenty pounds. He's gonna play inside linebacker at USC. He's been listed as an outside linebacker by a lot of people, uh, really because some of his video show his, shows him more as an edge rusher. But I think for USC, he's an inside linebacker. He's a downhill thumper. He's a guy that impressed a lot of people at the Nike Combine in Honolulu earlier this year. Uh, but he didn't play last year as a junior for St. Louis in Honolulu, which is a big time football program because he just transferred in. So he had to sit out. So again, we're talking about a guy sort of like Ali Apaga who's jumped around in different schools with Jordan Ayasefa. He's a guy that didn't play last year. So you can see why he might be under the radar. So a bunch of guys that a lot of USC fans didn't really know about end up being commitments. What are, what are your overall thoughts of, of these guys coming in? I mean, it's going to be a class of 22. Uh, as of right now, there there's three blue shirts that are are counting towards the class of 2016. Um, there's still plenty of room because of the the scholarship numbers. USC will, you know, be in the mid to high, to higher 70s in the you know 2015. So there's room. You know, 16 seniors going away. There'll probably be a couple other guys leaving. There's plenty of room to sign. You know, up to 25 guys, but they'll they'll bring in likely 22 because of the three blue shirts. Any concern that they're taking up a, a chunk of that those 22 guys? No, not really. And I think, you know, we're talking about uh, 22 and then you added, you know, the blue shirts that are signed and are on campus or going to be on campus. Taylor McNamara has yet to make it on campus, uh, but we've seen Deontay Burnett and we're going to see uh, Clayton Johnston here probably in a couple of weeks get on campus as well. You can also blue shirt in this class. And that's already been mentioned by some fans on the peristyle asking, you know, a guy like, uh, you know, Liam Jemins, who is a huge Trojan fan, when he got that scholarship offer at the Lyman camp, he told me, I was in tears. He said, it was just, this is everything I've been working for. I've always loved USC. I'm a huge USC fan. I mean, this is, this is, he had really no words to explain sort of what he liked about USC. He loves everything. You know, he just was really emotional about it. And so, you know, people kind of pick up on that and go, well, hey, that's a guy that might be able to take a blue shirt. He's not going to have the big ego. He doesn't need to take the official visit or have the in-home visit with Steve Sarkeesian. Um, I think it's a little early to start talking about that. I think it's a little early to talk about USC trying to extend that 22 and make it, you know, 25 with a couple blue shirts. I think we need to see sort of what the talent pool ends up being around when you get into January. Some of these out-of-state players are looking at USC. And right now, I mean, you've got a handful of guys that are talking about officially visiting USC already from back east and in the south. But it really depends upon where USC is at the end of the season. Are they playing in January? Do they have a good record? Do they continue to look like a program that's on the rise? Then you can start to say, okay, wait. Now some of these guys that they got that may be a little more projects, uh, a guy like Sally Apaga, who's got to get his grades up. That's another thing with him. He's jumped around at different schools, so he also has some grade issues. One of those type of guys, can he be a blue shirt type guy because USC can go out and grab somebody who might be uh, a bigger name, a guy that, you know, might be a more immediate impact player for them? Um, that, that, again, that's a conversation that we have to have sort of in December and January where we know where USC stands in the season. And that always has a big impact on out of state recruiting because it's all about certainty. And those kids want to know that they can play for national championships. They're not going to leave Florida. They're not going to leave uh, the South or the East. If they're coming out here to USC and you know, USC's only won eight games. So it's not going to happen. All right. Uh, makes sense. And we'll, we'll keep on blue shirt watch and all that stuff kind of going forward. Uh, but yeah, being similar thing to like Deontay Burnett, who ended up, you know, getting that scholarship offer and, and committing on signing day. Uh, this would be more of a kind of advanced scholarship offer. You know, they call it advanced scholarship. 
Um, it'd be kind of like that, but just doing it a little bit earlier. So it'll be interesting to see if, if some of those guys, if you start seeing more and more commits and there's like, oh, there's 24 guys committed and you know there's only 22 spots, obviously a couple of those dudes would be blue shirting. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, obviously that's not going to happen until we get towards the end of the year. It's really one of those things of, you know, we're not going to see 24 commits. What it'll be is we'll see 19 commits, 20 commits, and all of a sudden you've got four or five guys still on the board that USC has a really good shot at. Yeah. You know, guys like Iman Marshall or Adoree Jackson that you go, okay, <laughs> we know that USC <laughs> is going to take those guys no matter what. And they seem to have heavy interest in USC, and the numbers just don't add up. Then you start to go, okay, there's something else going on here. They're probably going to have a guy go ahead and take a blue shirt, which is basically what happened last year. Uh, speaking of blue shirt, we had a question from Paul in Vegas. He says the issue of the recruit's brother who wants to transfer in as a blue shirt tight end in the really old days, if he wanted to go to SC but needed to kill a year to become eligible and gain some weight, and he put in parentheses a 210-pound tight end, question mark, uh, he'd be told to go play a year at JC. We wouldn't have to kill a year of scholarship, and he'd get lots of playing time. Today, only guys who don't have sufficient grades go to junior college. But if this kid really wants to play at SC with his kid brother, which I'm all for, does the JC route offer a path for a kid, Gerard says, we're not sold on at this time? Paul in Las Vegas. He didn't mention anyone's names in that one, by the way, so... Yeah, he's speaking on Daniel Imitorbebe, which is the brother of Josh Imitorbebe, who's committed to USC as a receiver prospect. Uh, I, I think the, the issue with that question is that USC doesn't really need to kill a scholarship or get a scholarship spot open. They're still way under 85. So that's not an issue. Um, coming in and going to a JC would really be only an issue for Amator Baby trying to prove that he could gain the weight and he could be a player that USC wants. I don't think USC, on, on their side of things, would want Amator Baby to go to JC and basically waste a year of eligibility at JC when he could be on campus at USC practicing using a, 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 a scout team position, which, again, you've heard me say this over and over again on podcasts, that's a big deal for USC when you're, you know, hovering around that 70, 75, and, and that would be huge for USC even to be at that number with healthy players practicing this season because last year, obviously, it was even below that number. You can get into that, you know, 80 type number where you can get people on your scout team that are legitimate division one athletes that can give your first team defense a look. That's a positive. That, that actually, it, it pays dividends. There's, there's, there's value to having those guys there playing scout team in practice. So I don't think, you know, having him go to a JC really doesn't do anything other than we're not convinced that, you know, you're, you're a USC caliber player. You have to go to junior college and prove it before you transfer here because we don't want to put in those, you know, two or three years of eligibility and have you on the roster when we start to get to closer to 85. That would be probably the only way it shakes out that way that would be a value to USC and a value to him. And I do not see that happening. I mean, if, if he's looking at other schools and he's got legitimate scholarship offers, we know Oregon is in there and, and, and they're talking to him and he's got a scholarship offer from Oregon. Uh, to this point, have not heard uh, definitively that he has a scholarship offer from USC. So it really still is in USC's court as to whether they feel like, okay, this is a guy that we want to use a scholarship offer now to get him on campus so he can be a scout team player and later on develop into a guy that's going to be able to play for us and contribute to 
to us? That's really going to be the question, and I think, you know, it, it's just a matter of time to see whether it all shakes out and happens. Yeah, and, that, and the, the issue with Daniel would be he would take up another blue shirt spot for the class of 2016, so uh, now you're talking 21 recruits, uh, high school recruits, you know, not counting blue shirts you would borrow towards the class of 2017, so that'd be four blue shirts counting one class. It seemed like it'd be a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you are taking more rides away from a class that isn't necessarily deep, uh, but you are talking about one less guy, and maybe USC feels confident in signing two uh, scholarship-level tight ends in this class. And, and, you know, obviously we've talked about Devin Asiasi up at Concord de la Salle. He's a guy that could play tight end, but, you know, 6'5", 270 is a guy that also might play in the defensive line. You've got Nasir Upshur uh, from Philadelphia who's, you know, still trying to make it out on an unofficial visit. Whether he becomes a legitimate prospect or not, still open-ended. Uh, he's going to take an official visit to Arizona when USC plays him September 18th. Uh, and a guy that's still pencilling in USC as an official visit uh, destination. But, you know, in terms of the amount of prospects in the 2016 class that USC has offered, it's still pretty minimal. Um, so, you know, we're kind of keeping our eye out, keeping our ear to the ground, trying to see maybe potentially there's other tight end prospects out there that may want to transfer to USC. I mean, it does seem a little odd that USC sort of dragging their feet when everything – really sort of lines up that Daniel Amator Baby would come to USC. I mean, you know, he's got family out here. He's originally from Orange County, just like his brother. His brother turns around and commits. I mean, the timing of it says, yeah, of course he's going to just transfer to USC. I mean, that, that means everything. And possibly some of the delay is, you know, trying for USC to kind of keep up appearances, and they don't want it to look like, oh, okay, you know, the guy's just transferring to USC because his brother's committed to USC, and there's maybe some shenanigans going on there. That's also a possibility. But, I mean, logic, you just look at it face value. It seems kind of obvious. Like, of course he would transfer to USC. USC needs tight ends. His brother's committed to USC. Um, you know, he's a guy that was, you know, legitimate Division One player playing at uh, Florida. He didn't really play uh, necessarily. I mean, he was just there a semester early. Um, so, you know, we don't know what he was really doing in practice or, or how good of a player potentially he was down the line for them. But he is a guy that had scholarship offers coming out of high school. He didn't have a scholarship offer from USC, though. And so that does raise the question still, is he a guy that USC feels fits their system? All right. Uh, let's go. David had two questions. The first one's pretty simple. Um, do you think uh, it's more likely than not that Mika Juarez ends up at USC? Mike Juarez, do I think it's more likely than not? Hmm, that's an interesting way to state that question. Uh, he is verbally committed to USC right now, and I think until he decommits, I'd have to say yes. I think it's more likely that he ends up at USC. I do acknowledge that he's looking at other schools. UCLA is recruiting him really hard. Uh, Michigan is recruiting him really hard. Notre Dame is recruiting him very hard, and he's interested in those schools, and he's going to take official visits. But I think if USC has a good season – Sewell Cravens leaves for the NFL early, which we all anticipate. If he has a good season, that's Mike Warriors' spot, and he's basically going in there to compete with John Houston for that spot. And I think that lines up well for him, and I think he stays committed to USC. Now, if USC trips up during the season, maybe Sewell Cravens gets hurt, he can't come out early, then there's some complications and there's some things that maybe give him even more second thoughts, and someone like UCLA or Notre Dame is able to talk him in to going there. Uh, but as it stands, with him verbally committed to USC and having not decommitted or really even publicly talked about decommitting, um, I think that uh, it's still, yeah, USC's, uh, the ball's in their court once again. 
And the second part of his question, what order do you rate the quality of available wide receiver recruits? Um, assuming the two guys that are committed now stick with USC and you take two more, who are the top two guys that you would take? Wow. Is that just local receivers or is that receivers in general? I think it's it just said receivers in general. You assume with two out of state guys that they would try to get two local receivers with so many guys. But I mean, if you like someone out of state better out of your top two, put them in there. Yeah, that's uh, tough. I don't have like a list uh, <laughs> sitting in front of me. I, I know that, um, I mean, I like Javon McKinley. I think that's a, a safe pick. I think he's a guy that's highly productive, 6'2", 200 pounds, um, you know, smart kid, no off-the-field issues, uh, one of the kind of bigger receivers. The biggest question I would have with him is, you know, is he too much like Josh Amator Baby? He's basically sort of the same size, maybe a tad faster than Javon McKinley. I, I think that's sort of, you could argue either way, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, I think you're kind of splitting hairs between those two. Uh, but you already have Amator Baby committed, and he might be sort of similar to Javon McKinley. I think Javon McKinley probably a little more polished, um, and certainly coming from a system like Corona Centennial, you know the competition-wise, uh, he's had some great great games against some great players, so you don't question that. Um, I think he's definitely got to be up there. Tyler Vaughn has sort of slipped for me a little bit. You know, I still question whether athletically he can do the things he does in high school at the college level. He's a guy who's about six one and a half, maybe six two. Fantastic leaping ability, great ball skills, but not a ton of speed and not a real great route runner. He's not a real sudden player. He's very methodical, and I just again, he's you know about 180 pounds and about six two. And I just don't know if he's going to be able to just jump over players uh, at the college level like he does in high school. Um, I think the guy who's probably risen the most, in my opinion, over the spring is probably Trevon Sidney. He's a guy that's rated as an athlete by scout. Now he's about 5'11", 175 pounds, but really uber-athletic in, in sort of a unique way. I, I've compared him you know, to sort of one of those soccer forwards that has – that a great awareness, you know, the fantastic ball skills and the ability to just jump in the air and control his body and do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, I mean, we've seen it in person during the spring. He's been pretty fantastic, and he's been very consistent. The biggest issue with Trevon Sidney is that if you compare Sidney and Tyler Vons, both on the same team at Bishop Amon, Tyler Vons has been much more productive in season with pads on. Trevon Sidney kind of disappeared last season a little bit. So while he's had this great spring, you wonder, okay, is he going to be able to translate that in pads on Friday nights for his team and be a guy that can play and make an impact and isn't just a t-shirt All-American. So that was the biggest question with Sydney, but I mean, he's definitely shot up there. I think in terms of overall athleticism and, and just, you know, the freakish type of guy that's on USC's board right now has got to be Nate Craig. Uh, Nate Craig uh, out of uh, Tampa, Florida, a guy that, uh, you know, has had interest in USC for a while. Um, I, 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 I was told that he actually unofficially visited USC, uh, not last summer, but the summer before, but then it was actually told just recently, no, he hasn't unofficially visited USC. So I'm still not 100% sure about that. We'll obviously talk to him at the opening and see if he comes out for Rising Stars uh, next week at USC. But that's a guy that in terms of like the freakish athlete, the guy that's, you know, 6'2", 190 pounds and can run, uh, he kind of is a total package, but really is probably a little more of the long shot at all those guys. I mean, he's a guy from obviously from Florida, 
Tampa was a great sort of honeypot for USC when Lane Kiffin was there because Lane Kiffin, obviously with Monty Kiffin, having coached with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, had a lot of ends there. USC doesn't have quite those many ends uh, anymore in Tampa. So it's it's not necessarily like a, you know, on the low thing, okay, yeah, Nelson Aguilar's been committed all this time. They're definitely going to be playing from behind to get Nate Craig. Uh, he's a guy that at this point looks like Florida State's probably the big leader for him. But athletically, yeah, he's right at the top, uh, you know, with, with, with all those guys, if not above them. But in terms of, you know, the shot that USC has on them, <laughs> that kind of puts them down a little bit uh, on the uh, on the on the list of guys that you would want. Um, I think another guy that's sort of in that same vein would be Theo Howard. Uh, Theo Howard's about six foot, six one, 185 pounds. We saw him at the Oakland uh, opening, and he looked a lot like Marquis Lee. I mean, athletically, he was that kind of guy that just he ran a four three eight in cold, kind of damp conditions, kind of a headwind. Uh, so he's really fast. He's really swift. He looks effortless. Good ball skills, uh, probably a little more polished in his route running and his ball skills than Marquise Lee at this point in his career. Um, maybe not as strong and as powerful as an athlete. I think Marquise Lee definitely had a little bit of dog in him. It was a little more aggressive, a little more strong. Uh, but you know, as a receiver, that's not always something that you know you're necessarily the biggest value attributes. Uh, the fact that he's fast and probably faster, Marquise Lee at this point in his career, um, makes him a big target. He's committed to Oregon, so like Nate Craig kind of a little bit of a long shot. He says he's 100% locked into Oregon. He's going to Oregon. He's not taking any official visits, but I still have sources telling me it ain't over until it's over. There's going to be some schools that he visits. He's going to look around a little bit, but it's going to be at the end in January, so we're going to have to wait and see if he's a guy that, again, we're talking about 22, and maybe if you can get a guy like Theo Howard in at signing day, you got to make an extra spot there. Somebody gets a blue shirt. All right, uh, let's do a voicemail question. Here you go, Gerard. Hey there, fellas. This is Coach G-Rod in the Central Valley. I wanted to talk a little bit about recruiting. This whole Lamont Simmons thing has me a little upset because during that recruiting class, at the end of that recruiting class, uh, we had a chance to get Fred Warner. He was willing to decommit from BYU a couple days before signing day. Uh, USC was going after him, and instead they gave that last scholarship to Lamont Simmons. Now, Fred Warner was top 200. Uh, he was somebody you could get in right away, and he wasn't a quote-unquote project like Lamont Simmons. And I think we really lost out on him. Obviously, he started for BYU as a true freshman, got a couple pick sixes. I mean, this kid was the real deal and instead we wasted it on a guy like Lamont Simmons. Now, the reason I'm upset about that is because Fred has a younger brother, Troy Warner, who is coming up in this signing class uh, this year, and he is a lockdown corner, four-star as well, and because of the way that kind of USC treated his brother in those last days, he's not even wanting to consider USC because of that. So I want to know your thoughts on that, and uh, if you thought that was a bad mistake with Lamont Simmons and missing out on two true coming in and working right away instead of just one quote-unquote project like Lamont Simmons. Also, these boys are from Southern California. So I think we missed out. Wanted to hear your thoughts. Fight on. 
Yeah, Fred Warner was a guy that uh, I was very high on uh, when he was coming out of uh, San Marcos High School. I mean, he's uh, definitely a guy that I thought could could play. Uh, I didn't know if he was going to be an immediate impact player for USC. Don't know if he would have been an immediate impact player for USC like he was for BYU. Obviously, you got two different rosters, different depth charts. Uh, I like Fred Warner a lot. I thought he was a guy that USC could probably find room for. Uh, possibly if they, you know, use the blue shirt um, tactics, then maybe they could have. It's it's hard to say if they could even have done that with sanctions. I mean, that might have prohibited them for maybe able to give those advanced scholarships. They could only really count back, couldn't count forward like you can with the blue shirt. Um, I think the things to to remember with Warner, however, is you know whether it really came down to Lamont Simmons versus Warner, I don't know. I mean, Lavat Simmons was kind of a silent verbal for a while for USC. I mean, he got offered a scholarship and really, I think, throughout the process was pretty much leaning towards USC. He committed on signing day, but it was one of those things where I think he had been committed uh, for a while before that point. He's 6'3", 180 pounds, uh, definitely an intriguing prospect. I think uh, it's unfortunate that he kind of gave up on USC so quick. I mean, I think he's a guy that could have definitely played at USC, I think he started looking over his shoulder. He started looking at him on Marshall. He started looking at some of the other players that USC was bringing in. And I think that's really why he left. I don't think it was necessarily because he was unhappy or because he knew for a fact he wasn't going to play. I think it was just one of those things he started projecting and felt like, you know what, let me go to another program where I can get a fresh start. Uh, we heard, you know, Georgia Tech was really sort of the team to beat for that transfer, and obviously that would be a step down in terms of talent, so he feels like he could probably make a quicker impact there with less competition. Um, but, you know, we also have to look at it this way. You're talking about Fred Warner, and you're talking about his brother Troy. I don't know that Troy has completely eliminated USC because of Fred. Obviously, that could have something to do with it, but Troy Warner doesn't have a scholarship offer from USC, so it's kind of hard for him to consider USC. He's a safety also. He's not really a lockdown corner. He's a guy that's going to end up playing safety in high school. I think he's a very good player. I think he's definitely a USC-level scholarship player, um, but at this point, USC looks like they're looking other places. They've got Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think they're very good shape with him. He's about 6'3", 210-pound safety from Mount Grove, California, a new four-star. He's a guy that got uh, uh, the opening invite. He's going to be at the opening finals. He's a different kind of safety than USC has recruited in the past. Um, just recently, I think he's really more of the safety that Pete Carroll would have recruited, uh, the bigger, you know, Taylor Mazish type uh, safety who can come up in the box and be more of an enforcer than necessarily a guy that you're going to be putting in space all the time. Although he kind of fancies himself as a guy that could also play corner at that size. So, again, an intriguing athlete. Uh, they're recruiting Jalen Jones, who's a four-star safety, who actually is rated as a corner by scout.com, but is really more of a safety. He plays for Allen High School in Texas, and that's where all his tape is. And really, that's the position he prefers. And then, obviously, you got C.J. Pollard, who's a guy that's been a USC lean for a long time. He's going to commit at the opening. Uh, he's a guy that we think definitely going to be in the class for USC um, as we move forward. And, and probably, I think, with Lamar Jackson and C.J. Pollard, both those guys want to be early in release, so they'll get on campus early. So that's really, I think, the competition with Troy Warner and not getting him a scholarship offer. Um, I think it's less to do about Troy and definitely more to do with that Fred. I mean, you can make the same argument with Rashi Johnson and uh, Charles Nelson. I mean, that's the big thing that, you know, you talk to people to know who remember the recruitment of Charles Nelson. USC basically ran out of scholarships 
and just couldn't get Charles Nelson in, and you sort of go, okay, well, who's the guy that took that spot? It would have been Rasheed Johnson, and Rasheed Johnson obviously didn't make it at USC, now transferred out, um, and, and so, you know, you look at Charles Nelson and the impact he had at Oregon last year and the impact he'll probably have in the future. It looks like he's going to play both ways, basically do the Dory Jackson thing for Oregon this year. That would obviously been a bigger pickup for USC. So it's all in hindsight. It's all armchair quarterbacking. Uh, I definitely agree with Fred Warner. I think he's a guy that, yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda. I think he could have been a part of the class. But then at the same time, you look at the class that USC brought in this past year, and, and those guys now starting to get on campus. You've got Osa Messina. You've got Porter Gustin. You've got John Houston. And you've got Cameron Smith. Maybe if you get a guy like Fred Warner and he plays early, that sort of affects uh, whether those guys want to come in and follow Fred Warner too. So, you know, I mean, USC recovered okay, I think. Yeah, not too bad. But he was a guy I liked as well and uh, just didn't seem to fit in there. Maybe in a non-sanctioned year it would happen, but it did not. Uh, we got one last question for you, Gerard, from Clemens. He said, the Notre Dame scout guys feel pretty confident about Javon McKinley, uh, Dalen Hayes, and now they're talking up uh, Stovall as well. It's very fr- so. I guess that's the first part of the question, and then he goes into it's very frustrating that the five-star defensive end from Sarah hasn't included SC because of Lamar Arrington, but included Notre Dame. Perhaps Gerard can elaborate on this as well, since Sarah is such a feeder school for USC. Thanks from Clemens. Yeah, we kind of just changed topics there a little bit in the middle of that question. Um, I guess it's more about Notre Dame recruiting against USC. Um, with Javon McKinley, I, again, I think it sort of depends on USC and how hard they want to recruit him. If there's other guys that end up committing before him and he starts to look at that and feels like he needs to go elsewhere. Um, I think all things even, he ends up at USC. But like I said before, you got Josh Imator baby there and he's kind of sort of a similar player to Javon McKinley, at least physically. And you wonder if that's going to affect things down the road uh, with USC's recruitment and, and who they have and whether they're trying to recruit, you know, just for the best receivers they can get or they actually want to get guys that kind of fit specific roles. Um, I, I think with Melky Stovall, I don't see him going to Notre Dame ever. That seems like a, like a huge prayer, I think, for Notre Dame. I'm sure the scholarship offer was great and everything, but this is a guy that talked about going to Cal and saying that, you know, it was just kind of weird, the city. He wasn't really sure about it. It, it just wasn't what he was used to. And, and South Bend, obviously, is going to be really not what he's used to. So he, he's a USC guy and a California guy. But I think, you know, Notre Dame is a, a school he'll definitely officially visit. I think he wants to officially visit Miami as well and, and some other schools like that. So, um, I, I don't see that with, uh, Melky Stowall. Jumping over to the, uh, Oluwale Betiku, um, recruitment, Notre Dame's not really in that either. Um, that's, that's UCLA or Penn State. Um, and, and we've talked about a little bit. Wale does not want to leave California. He told me flat out, he, well, he told me off record, so I shouldn't actually repeat what he said, but he wants to stay in California. He lived in Washington, D.C. for a year. The snow did not agree with him. He's from Nigeria. He said, you know, if he's going to go back to he's just going to keep flying and go back to Nigeria, basically. So he wants to stay out here in California. Uh, really, Penn State becomes uh, sort of a player's because of LeVar Arrington, and, and obviously that's his, his alma mater, and he, he feels comfortable with it, and he feels like it's a good school, and he should go there. So that, that's really kind of what's going on with uh, Oluwale Betiku. I don't see him uh, going to Notre Dame. So uh, as far as that affects USC and, and, and what USC is doing, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's more about his mentors, more about his basically his legal guardian in LeVar Arrington, 
and him having a lot of influence in where he goes. And I think for Olawale, what he told me after he eliminated USC and put out his top six, which is really his final six is what he, what he said to me. Um, he said just fit. He, he didn't feel like he fit at USC. He's going to play with his hand down. And at USC, with his size, he basically have to be sort of more of a rush-in outside linebacker. And he doesn't feel comfortable playing in a two-point stance and having to bro- drop back into coverage. So he doesn't really want to be a hybrid-type linebacker rush-in. He wants to be a guy that puts his hand down and is a, is a, is a, a seven technique, is a, is a wide nine technique. He wants to get as wide as possible and just run at the quarterback. And obviously USC running a 34 defense, you're not going to get that. Now UCLA... The previous years, uh, when they had Oberk there as a defensive coordinator, they ran a 3-4 that was kind of similar to USC. So I don't know what they're telling him now. Maybe with Tom Bradley there, the former Penn State defensive coordinator, which, again, there's the Penn State connection with, with LeVar Arrington, uh, maybe they run a four-man front now, and, and that's you know what they recruit him as, and that's what he's comfortable as. Uh, I think UCLA is definitely the team to be for him. So for USC, it just... You know, it, it was the connection, obviously, with Lamar Arrington that they didn't have, um, and it's more the fit in terms of defensive scheme that they didn't have. All right. Uh, well, that's the questions we had, Gerard. And the one last topic I wanted to uh, discuss a little bit was the uh, B2G Elite Camp uh, over this past weekend. We got to see some of the, you know, a lot of those receivers that you had mentioned before. Um, Keyshawn Young was another guy that, uh, you know, out of Miami that came out and, um, Performed at the, at the B2G Elite camp. Another guy that, you know, USC has a, he's in, I think USC's in the top three for him. But, uh, just for USC targets, anyone interesting or anything interesting you saw out there? Yeah, we saw, you know, Keyshawn Pai Young come out and that was good to see. Very athletic player. Um, definitely raw. I mean, raw, raw, raw. Didn't catch the ball particularly well. Didn't run the greatest routes, but you could see the athleticism and the explosiveness with him. Uh, is he a guy that USC is going to go that far for? I don't think so right now. I, I, I look at him and I say, ah, he's a little smaller. I, I don't know if, if there's a fit for USC. I think he could play at USC. I think he would be a good player at USC, but he's definitely a little more of a project than maybe they want to get right now with all the other guys on the board. Uh, but it was interesting seeing him go against Jack Jack, Jack Jones, and they had some good battles there. And actually, you can see that uh, on film. We put the video up, uh, a couple of those uh, back and forth. And, you know, I mean, uh, Keyshawn's a South Florida guy, so he's, he's going to go right at Jack Jack. I mean, he's got the little gold grill going on the bottom tooth. You know, he's He's talking his little trash and everything, and and Jack Jack's kind of interesting because you know Jack Jack doesn't look like that guy that's you know kind of that real you know hard you know city guy or what he doesn't he kind of comes off like okay he might be you know just a nice kid out there just playing hard and he just has an edge to him and Keyshawn you know he was coming up and he was there letting him press and. Uh, <laughs> And he got close, and the B2G coaches were like, "Jack, Jack, you got to back up, man. You got to back up." So Keyshawn, or, or you know, Jack Jones is looking. He's like, "Man, I'm I'm not on the line of scrimmage, or whatever." And Keyshawn just welcomed it. He grabbed his hand, and said, "Come on, you can press me if you want to." Well, Jack, Jack didn't like that. He's like, "You don't touch me." And so they went back and forth, and they just, man, it was you know, Jack, Jack has just got a lot of dog in him. I think that's why schools are just they just like him so much. I mean, he's not the four three type guy, and he's 
you know, doesn't have all that crazy, uh, you know, the, the, the timed, um, you know, 40 and all that kind of, you know, shuttle and all that kind of stuff. But man, he's a really good football player, really good awareness. And, you know, Keyshawn went right at him and Keyshawn got him once and then Jack Jack got him the other time. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was really good to see those guys go at it. We saw Trevon Sidney, uh, making some really good plays. We saw, uh, Joseph Lewis, the 2017 receiver from Hawkins School, had a really, really good camp. Probably the best overall receiver at the camp. And so he's a guy that can, continues to establish himself as, as one of the best receivers, not just in 2017 class, but just in Southern California in general. I mean, you talk about guys, 6'2", 180 pounds, runs probably as fast as any of those guys locally, and uh, has really good ball skills, and he's still young, and he's still developing. I mean, that's the thing. He's really catching the ball, doing all kinds of great things, making the tough catches in traffic, but you can see with his routes and how he breaks off his routes and, and really just his awareness – technique getting off the line against the jam all those things he's a guy that's definitely got room to develop room to get better but he's really good already so really excited about seeing him down the line and uh it was a it was a great camp there's several good players there and uh, i think uh one of those things that you know we're going to see here as the usc camp start to you know weed out a little bit who the guys are from, you know, the, the, the sort of pretender guys. You know, we've seen Jack Jack go out there and be consistently good. We've seen this spring, Trevon Sidney go out there and be consistently good. USC had their seven on seven tournament this past uh, weekend and you actually had Darian Owens, Caleb Kelly, the five star linebacker, uh, Trevon Sidney, Jack Jones, all those guys were on campus for the seven on seven tournament. And, you know, everything I heard, Jack Jack and Trevon Sidney were definitely guys that, uh, that rose to the occasion. Caleb Kelly going to be questionable whether, you know, USC really continues to recruit him hard and obviously Darren Owens is already committed to UCLA. I don't think USC really cares too much about that at this point. I think they've got their safety targets and Darren Owens wants to play receiver. Uh, so we're going to continue to see things sort of filter out and, you know, I think the board is going to start to shake out and we're going to see maybe a little more clarity with the receiver position specifically as we get past uh, June and July. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. Uh, always fun to do these uh, podcasts talking recruiting, and uh, hopefully everyone likes the new format. We've been doing it for, I think, this is our third week now, and we'll try to definitely get Gerard on more and do more recruiting podcasts. So send in those questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can follow him on Twitter at gmartlive. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. And uh, thanks again, Gerard, for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 